Welcome to MediaPost's Brand Insider. I'm your host, Steve Smith, Editorial Director of Events here at MediaPost. Each week, we interview marketing leaders from companies old and new about how they build and evolve their brands on an unpredictable media and culture terrain. In addition to this full audio interview in podcast form, we also publish a companion newsletter with highlights from the Q&A. MediaPost has been covering marketing and media news for over 20 years. You can find the Brand Insider Weekly as well as our daily coverage at MediaPost.com. But now, let's get into it. Let's welcome to the Brand Insider, Michelle Waits. She's the Vice President of Marketing and Commercial Support at Illy, the coffee makers. Uh, Illy Cafe is an 80-year-old premium coffee brand. Many of you will be very familiar with that red logo that you see on the store shelves. The company just launched a major multi-channel campaign. It calls Welcome on the Road to Happiness. We'll, uh, we'll embed the video for, uh, about, um, for this campaign in our newsletter, but it's a high concept piece that tries to weave together the themes of quality product sourcing, fair trade, sustainability, sociability, and shared experiences, and coffee drinker happiness. I'll let Michelle riff on this uh, in greater detail in a second. She heads North American marketing for the, uh, for the Italian coffee brand Ely. She came to the company in 2020 after 11 years at Starbucks. So welcome, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, let's start with coffee generally as a category. You spent over a decade at Starbucks. Uh, you're well acquainted with the lay of the land when it comes to the U.S. coffee market. Tell us about the main marketing challenge in this category. Obviously, most of us, certainly those of us who are coffee lovers, have seen this explosion of brands coming at us from all channels. Um, so uh, especially the DTC channel. Where has Ely been in all of this? And how do you sort of scope out the nature of the market and the key challenge for a brand like yours? Uh, you know, to answer the first part of your question on the challenge, I think you know the saturation of the category is definitely one of the biggest challenges. Uh, we used to talk about it in terms of waves of coffee brands, and we're either in our fourth or fifth wave right now. And so that I think really speaks to the saturation. I think um, what that means for brands in our situation is it's really important to have a story and it's really important for us to have a, 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 a point of difference and a reason for being. And I think what's really unique about Ely is we've been around for a really long time and we know from our data that a lot of people, us, but not a lot of people really know who we are. So we have close to 80% brand awareness, but we have very, very low awareness of exactly who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And we sit in a part of the category of coffee right now that is the fastest growing part of the category, which is super premium. Mm -hmm. Super premium definitely benefited from the, the idea that a lot of people couldn't enjoy coffee away from home. So they started buying for home. And they, many of them wanted to raise the quality and, and raise the experience level. And so we've seen a lot of that super premium growth. And that's exactly the sweet spot for Ely and where we play. So we feel like the time is right where there's a nice match between the consumer need and what our brand offers. And we believe that uh, the biggest challenge and the opportunity for us is to really tell our story in a compelling way to the U.S. consumer. So before we uh, get into this, this campaign specifically. Up to this point, typically, what had been Ely's sort of come to market strategy for the U.S.? Where, where were you putting, where were you all, allocating your resources? You know, I guess I phrase it as we really told our story through a lot of third parties. We've been 
pretty prominently on the scene in on-premise. And so we've had longstanding relationships with accounts like JW Marriott. We have a relationship with United Airlines. And so a lot of people have had their first Ely experience in a hotel or a restaurant. And um, because of that, I think that's what helped to give uh, a bit of brand awareness in the US, but without really having ourselves tell our story first person. So what we're attempting to do with this uh, marketing campaign is to really tell our own story in our own words. You, by the way, since you, you just mentioned two industries that got gutted by, by the pandemic, was that part of the motivation or is that something that sort of moved you towards this strategy? Was the pandemic and having such important partnerships sort of just shut down for a year? I think the, the strategy to really drive our brand awareness and to really tell our own story precedes the pandemic. But to your point, it really, I think, accelerated the need for us to move in that direction. And I think, uh, you know, you again, raise a really good point about how when you're starting to play either in the CPG channel or the online channel, you do have to tell your own story mm-hmm. to be really relevant with, with consumers. So, um, so you, you're, you're clearly, this campaign really does mark a shift in strategy, going more yes. direct to consumers and brand, brand, brand building. Um, tell us about the, the campaign itself, uh, the theme of the campaign. Is it based on any sort of specific market research about your read of the competition, about a read about your own brand, about consumers? What sort of drew, pushed you in that particular direction for the theme of this? Uh, I think the the consumer insights really helped us to understand how people were feeling in the middle of the pandemic and also through the pandemic. But I think in terms of how we articulated ourselves and how we told, you know, again, I keep saying our own story, uh, that we didn't really need research for that part of it. So what our research showed us is that, um, you know, certainly people's values shifted a bit during the pandemic. And our brand has always um, tried to express happiness uh, through coffee and coffee experiences. And we noticed in the campaign, or sorry, we noticed during the pandemic that the definition of happiness changed a bit. It wasn't just a fleeting moment anymore. It had a little bit more gravitas and happiness wasn't just for individuals. It had more of a collective sense about it. It had to have a sense of purpose. And we felt like that evolution of happiness was very much uh, consistent with who we are as a brand. And so we really embraced the idea of happiness. As you know, our tagline is live happily. So that was already something we had uh, established. We shifted a little bit the definition of that and how we expressed it. So when we say welcome on the road to happiness, it's intentional to say the road because we feel like it's something that continues to move. And you can see in the campaign that we have a circular uh, visual icon, and that's there to really represent the fact that it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would urge people who are simply listening to this to definitely check out the video because it is is very, very high production values that there is one of those rare commercials where the visual theme, the very style of the ad actually embodies part of the brand. It is a good, it is a, a really nice piece. Um, Thank you. And it's, and, um, but so let me, 
I want to talk about, um, well, actually, let, let's spend a second talking about that Ely brand and this idea, the idea that you have what, what the brand story really is that has always been there and maybe has not been able to come out until now. Yeah. Um, you haven't had the vehicles, the direct-to-consumer vehicle for doing it. So tell us a little bit about that vision of what that Ely brand is, because it is a uh, it is a logo that's very familiar to me, but I don't yeah. remember ever having a cup of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember always seeing it, and I guess I always identified it with espresso, which is not really my bag. Um, right. But, um, uh, but uh, so I'm curious what that story is. Yeah, we... we sometimes talk about it as the best kept secret uh, in, in CPG. Um, so there are three pillars that the brand stands on. And the first one is good. Uh, second is goodness. And the third is beauty. And good is very intentional to talk about our quality. And the quality comes all the way, you know, starting from how we source our beans and the quality of the beans that we source. And then it also um, encompasses this idea that we source coffees from nine different origins mm -hmm. and we very carefully blend and roast them to have the same consistent illy taste. Mm -hmm. So if you have a cup of coffee, it's made with this really uh, signature illy blend. That's a little bit different from other coffee brands. Uh, mm -hmm. They believe that variety is the right approach to coffee. We really believe that the singular, simple, unique illy blend is the hallmark uh, of our flavor. Mm -hmm. So good encompasses that philosophy as well as our quality. Goodness is really about ethics and sustainability. Uh, we've always been a company that seeks uh, to do business in an ethical way. And this is the ninth year where we received the Ethisphere Award, mm -hmm. uh, being an ethical company. And uh, sustainability, I think, is something that is uh, very important to the whole coffee category. Um, but we have always, um, at least for the past 30 years, um, worked with farmers in a, in a direct relationship. So we perform trade uh, with our coffee farmers. And um, actually, this is the first year that we were awarded B Corp certification for um, being a company that conducts its business in a sustainable and ethical manner. Goodness. And then beauty is our third pillar. And beauty is really about trying to marry aesthetics uh, and bring that into the coffee experience to make it really the ultimate experience. So you were a brand that was watching all of these other brands sort of grow up, uh, emerge on the market, all touting their sustainability, their fair trade ethics. And you guys are sort of sitting there saying, well, wait a minute, we've been doing this all along. We've got to find a vehicle to make clear to people that just because they're familiar with a logo doesn't mean that these are values we don't represent as well. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Well said. <laughs> I, well, I, I want to. It's interesting. It happens all the time in marketing, where where suddenly suddenly new brands show up and and tout qualities that other brands have had all along. It's sure. one of the oldest tricks in marketing. Yes, that's right. Uh, so I I want to talk about that customer journey because I also want to talk about mm. the media plan here and and how how you expect to capture, let's say, a coffee fiend like me. Uh, this weekend, I happened to be at Whole Foods. I yes. spent probably 
much to my wife's chagrin, 15 minutes in the coffee aisle. And, and my process, and I was not alone. There were a whole bunch of other, like what you might call coffee lurkers there. Uh, and we were all just looking at bags and looking at bags. This is where the point of decision was. I was discovering brands. I was reading up on them. I was making my decision at the shelf. So I'm curious about how you see or have researched or understand that customer journey, where the decisions are made and how your media plan uh, maps against that. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we always talk about our marketing architecture as a funnel, like, like people do. And I think one of our realizations as we approach this campaign is that if you don't fill the upper part of the funnel, you can do a lot of work at the bottom uh, in conversion and offers uh, at that stage. And you just don't get the kind of scale that you want if haven't really filled that top part. And so that might sound, um, you know, really obvious, but um, that became a really big focus of this campaign is to start filling that funnel with the stories about Ely. So that when people then get to experience it on premise mm -hmm. um, at a JW Marriott, for example, or they go to the grocery store, they already have a sense for who we are. Uh, and then hopefully other things in the store can then do their work. Mm -hmm. um, to get you over the hump and to choose us uh, instead of someone else. So as we all know, achieving that scale in a very fractured environment mm. um, is, uh, is a challenge for everybody now. What sort of decisions did you make about this campaign in terms of where we're going to see it, where you were allocating investment? Well, the first decision we made was in the market, uh, which market we would really focus on. And so uh, we have a, a handful of markets where we, are focusing our uh, marketing, but also our development efforts. Um, and so uh, that is where we have decided to put most of our investment. Mm -hmm. One of our focus markets this year is New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that way, we're able to um, make the most out of our investment and really focus it on a certain area. And uh, we make sure that we're filling the upper funnel, but we're really uh, moving all of the marketing from, from the top to the bottom and sort of saturating the market across all of our channels. That is our approach. Uh, and so the media will be the first part of this campaign. And this campaign kicked off in late July. So it's literally just hot off the press. Mm -hmm. It is going to be uh, primarily a digital campaign for upper funnel. Mm -hmm. It in social media. You will see it in places like YouTube. Uh, we will, of course, go to um, Programmatic. We will go to Spotify and Hulu, for example. You will start to see the campaign there in July and August. And then uh, we will start to build that presence in September and October with Out of Home. Um, we're expecting to see a little bit more footfall, especially in the market of New York in September and October. So we've timed it that way. And so uh, our objective was to try to surround the consumer uh, and to and hit them at multiple touch points so that we can break through. And then we're pulling the thread uh, into our, our stores um, in our CPG channel with displays and with some at shelf um, uh, POS and some offers that are timed um, specifically to drive conversion. 
but I guess the, the regional approach was really key here. You really you really wanted to dig into a particular region yeah. rather than go nationwide and try That's to right. do a do an enormous brand play, but really focus on a region. And I gather you're looking for learnings here in this market in order to then you know take those lessons to other regions. Exactly. Exactly. So what do you have, by the way, so with that in mind, what do you have in place in terms of on the measurement side, since measurement is at least as challenging, if not more challenging, the actual media planning, um, what sort of measurement regimens or protocols do you have in place to capture the learnings here and make sure that you're, you're getting what you need in order to move this elsewhere? That is so true, uh, the challenge in, in measurement. Um, because a majority of our media spend is digital, uh, when you have the ability to click to something, you know, that gives you some great learnings and some great tangible metrics. In the cases where it's not clickable, um, we are looking into some marketing mix analysis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to, to buy that information so that we can see that impact uh, in those unmeasured channels. Um, and so basically for each channel and for each program, we're setting up unique KPIs mm -hmm. uh, that we will watch very carefully. In the digital sphere, we will also uh, weekly look at how our metrics uh, are performing, and we will shift money um, and time over to those executions that are performing the best, mm -hmm. and you know continuously sort of fine tune um, our our mix in digital. Is there an overall data strategy here? CPGs are famous or infamous for not having that much of a direct link to consumers. Uh, they have to rely on all of these various distribution and, and third-party retailers who have the data. Um, and But increasingly, we see CPGs especially trying to cultivate and create programs that build that first-party data trove that they can use in a variety of ways. Since you're doing this, most of this digitally, is there a data strategy informing this? Do you have an idea of how and where you want to capture or build a first party database? Yeah, to be honest, we are in the early stages of really doing that. Um, but again, uh, because we're able to measure our data from our e-commerce site and our e-commerce site in the past year has really grown tremendously mm -hmm. uh, to be about the size of our uh, CPG business. And so that gives us some incredible first-party data that we could apply to other channels, um, just as a reflection of you know how the consumer uh, is voting. Um, and so we are digging into that as a first-party data source. We also can get data from our own stores, and so that's another uh, nice uh, reflection of consumer behavior. But in unmeasured channels, let's say, yeah, we're, we're working very um, closely with third-party data suppliers to help us really get better insights and then bringing those all together to get a more collective view of the consumer. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much time on this, but I'm afraid we may have stepped on the lead here. Did you really just say that half your, half that your e-commerce business is almost to the level of your CPG business? Yes. And that that's grown that much in the last year. I mean, I've, yes, that seems like something that's, that's worth at least spending a moment on because I've spoken to a lot of CPGs and yes, they, yes, they've gotten some more e-commerce e traffic, but I don't think generally at that scale, unless they started out as D2Cs. Yeah. So I think part of that is how we built our business uh, in the U.S. where our on-premise business is still our biggest business. 
And so uh, CPG, I think we're in the early stages of really trying to grow our presence and our footprint and also trying to figure out the right places uh, to be within CPG. But our e-commerce business has not only grown um, significantly during the pandemic, but it's also an award-winning uh, e-commerce website. And uh, we have uh, no barriers in terms of what we can offer uh, of our whole portfolio on the e-commerce site. And so we have really established, I think, a very strong and, um, and, and still growing business in that space. Did you find, does, is that partially a function of the on-premise um, business? Does that drive more e-com awareness than, say, a standard CPG distribution? I'm curious, what, what was driving that interest? I mean, how did people even know? Most, most consumers don't identify CPGs with e-commerce. They sort of have to be driven to it in some way or, or um, convinced about it. So how did, you, how did you build that part of the business? I do think that that has been helpful. Anecdotally, we hear a lot of people say, oh my gosh, I had your coffee when I was traveling in Italy, or I had your coffee mm -hmm. was on vacation at XXY. I had your coffee at this restaurant. Um, and so, yes, I do think then the next step is, you know, looking to see where you can buy it mm -hmm. and, uh, with an online presence uh, and, and, a, and a site that's easily shoppable and has so much variety. I think, you know, that it is helpful. Um, I, I would say, though, that, you know, again, we're in the very early stages of mm -hmm. CBG business and, and we are looking to, to expand that clearly. So you're an 80-year-old brand coming into a market that has simply been, as you started out by saying, saturated. Um, so let's pull back and look at, say, the future of coffee marketing and coffee brands. Is, is this number of coffee brands sustainable in the market? Or is this a market that simply is going to fragment into a lot of sort of boutique brands that a lot of us engage in? And then maybe a few Uber brands that that get, get most of the other business? Um, or is there going to be some sort of shakeout or consolidation? What As you look forward to the next three, five years of, of the coffee business, what does it look like? I think... Coffee's not unlike other categories where if you have a clear position or something really unique to offer, uh, that's, usually, that's a good position to be in. Mm -hmm. I think the scariest position to be in is that middle of the road. Mm -hmm. And as we look at the coffee category and what is growing today, uh, this, this idea of super premium really um, going to a, a even more premium place than, you know, perhaps you may have been thinking two years right. ago, there's a handful of brands there that mm -hmm. I have carved out a space that is compelling. Mm -hmm. And I think they're telling their stories as well. And when that benefit or the profile of that brand is, is interesting to people and it's somehow relevant to people, that's a, a really sweet spot to be in. And we feel like we are in that part of the category and we would really like to, to partner with retailers and to really start growing that part of the category. Mm -hmm. I think other parts of the category that, that grow are a little bit niche. You know, when you have a mm -hmm. you know, ingredient or you have a function or a benefit, obviously, you know, sometimes those are successful uh, from an innovation standpoint. So, so those, there, there might be a little bit of that, that fragmentation, um, but growth in those, those areas. 
Uh, and I don't think any of us are giving up our coffee anytime soon. And those of us who are hooked are really hooked. I mean, there's, I, there's I, no, I'm not. There's, there's, an in, yeah, there's, there's sort of an inbred sustainability to this market. Sure. sure. It's the kind of addiction that we brag about. Yes, it's true. <laughs> it's, true. It's one, of the, one of the few products that that's true. In. It's an acceptable addiction. Right. Yes. Michelle Waits, this has been loads of fun. Thank you very much. I'm actually about to go shopping, and you've convinced me to try uh, Elite. So I, I have not. I've, I don't remember ever trying it. I've probably uh, had it, but I don't think I've ever tried it. I hope that you do. And, and honestly, please let us know. Let, please let me know. Oh, I, you know, I will. You know, I will. I, I, <laughs> I hope so. Email. I hope this is just the beginning of a, of a conversation. Okay. Yeah, Michelle, coffee. thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post's Brand Insider podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at steve at MediaPost.com. Until next week, Let's mark it carefully out there.